Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I don't want to go off on a Steven Seagal rant again. There was a period last year where I think it was three, four episodes in a row that were almost completely Steven Seagal based. There's the Steven Seagal movie title game, which if you haven't heard of that or played that, you should go back into the archives and find that one because there's actually a sheet I've made that's on the website you can download. That is worth something. I found something out. I don't know why I was reading this. I forget why, but I'm not a big Vin Diesel fan. I think he's fine. I've actually enjoyed most of the movies he makes because he makes sort of a certain quality of film that if I'm in the right mood, I do quite enjoy. The Pitch Black movie and the Riddick movies that followed, I enjoyed those. I think they messed up in the last movie. They kind of made him not just like a human with this other sort of evolutionary track that he had had his eyes put in that it became like a superpower. That was a bit bullshit, but it's a set of movies and they kind of maybe lost their way a bit. Not a problem. The video game for Riddick was better than the movies. That's interesting. We're not actually talking about that. The first movie was Pitch Black. Before I get onto this, I have met multiple younger people, so people in their 20s, who basically have never heard of Steven Seagal. And I'm wondering if their world is better for it. Because yes, you're going to hate him and everything he does, but it does teach you what you should hate in the realm of film and the universe. I think I have come out as finally being, accepting my, my true human nature in that I am completely anti-Steven Seagal. The question I, I find myself twirling around in my head is, should I protect the younger generations from Steven Seagal or expose them to Steven Seagal so they can recognize when the next entity comes up that is like Steven Seagal? I, I don't have an answer yet. Uh, I met a couple of people, and one of them had never heard of Steven Seagal. The other had heard the name but didn't know like any of the f- movies or anything. And part of me went, ah, oh, you live in such a better world than me. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, oh, but you don't know how good it feels to hate someone this much. The reason I'm talking about Steven Seagal and Vin Diesel in the same place is that it turns out Steven Seagal almost became Riddick in Pitch Black. Pitch Black was a science fiction movie. It was very similar to Aliens. They were on a planet, and the planet had a very long day-night cycle. And when it became nighttime, the uh, bug creatures came out and would attack everybody. And since we're humans and we don't see as well in the dark, uh, that was really bad for us. People got picked off one at a time. Riddick tries to fight them and escape, and things like that happen. It's not a bad movie. I'll be really honest. I enjoyed the film. Uh, The Riddick movies were better but they were way more science fiction than just sort of basic horror movie. Pitch Black, if you have nothing else to do, it's an interesting thing to watch. So there is a lot of physicality in Pitch Black. 
Riddick as a character doesn't really get beat down. Riddick as a character, he's kind of like the highest level predator wherever he goes. Uh, he always is capable, which is fine. Uh, it's, they set him up to be kind of a superhero character. That is actually the safe acting range for Steven Seagal. So I'm trying to picture what Steven Seagal would have looked like in this because Riddick runs and jumps in something that I've never seen Steven Seagal do with any efficacy is jump. And if you've seen any movie where Steven Seagal runs, the way he runs is terrible. It's weird to criticize someone's run, but that in a lot of action movies is a very important element. You might be doing a lot of running, even if it's just short dashes, but it has to look cool for you to sort of engage with the hero. Steven Seagal, you can see very quickly he stopped running in his movies. He walked into bars and he would Aikido everyone into the ground really quickly as they would attack him politely and in order. And he was breaking bones and stuff. I never bought that Steven Seagal was as tough as he came across. And one of the things that bothered me is that Steven Seagal never gets beat up. He never like takes a punch. He, al he always deflects it. He always knocks them down. He always breaks their elbow and throws them out of the way. But it means he never has that moment where he has to get up again, which to me is the moment when someone becomes a hero. It's when they get beat down and get up. So Riddick, the thing is, primarily he's fighting giant bugs. How is Steven Seagal supposed to Aikido a bunch of giant bugs? Because Aikido is the only skill set that Steven Seagal has. I am not going to take that away from him. He is very good at Aikido. Uh, in the real world, Aikido is not quite as effective as people make it out to be, is my personal opinion. Uh, might get some pushback on that, but I said what I said and I'm not, not backing down. I cannot imagine a situation where Steven Seagal is in a movie, in the movie, Pitch Black, and it works out to be an exciting movie. Because as he slowly walks through a bunch of bugs and they attack him and he like Aikido's them over, that doesn't kill a bug. The bug would get up again, especially the bugs in this movie. They're giant like seven foot bugs. I don't want you to think they're just like little tiny bugs. They, they would get up again super fast and tear them apart. There's no way you could write Steven Seagal's style of acting or action into a movie like Pitch Black. So the fact that he was up for this is already astounding. I wonder how close it came. Like, it, did they get to the part where they, like, read some parts? And he reads in a completely flat tone, just like Vin Diesel does. Vin Diesel has that gravelly voice, which probably added, him, uh, added a certain amount of gravitas to it, which I can understand the appeal of that. And it did work for the Riddick character. But when they're like, hey, Steven Seagal, jump over this box and pretend to, like, Aikido a giant bug so they're holding a broom up slap it out of the way and he's like well I'm not jumping over a box I'm gonna slowly walk around the box let me let me try something out with you guys I'm gonna walk around the box really slowly then I will gently slap the broomstick and it will fly across the room I go well Steven you gotta you know hit a little harder than that well, wait guys I hit it the way I hit it and then he throws it across the room so it looks like I did some work it just, you know, I'm, a, I'm using my natural key power. I'm going to uh, defeat all the alien bugs. Great, Stephen, thanks. 
we'll call you back. And then, of course, then he never ended up in the movie, which was the best result we could hope for, because really the best result we could hope for is he's never in a movie. Now I'm torn between forcing myself to watch a bunch of the more recent Steven Seagal movies so I can hate him a little more. This is something I should go to therapy for. Why do I, every few years, grab the straight-to-video Steven Seagal movies just so I can hate them as much as I do? Because I do do it, and it is a regular occurrence, and it's almost like self-flagellation. It's a, a kind of imposed punishment, for maybe for the sins I've committed. I don't think any sin I've committed is that grave. I don't think I deserve the hell I live in. At least not for what I've done in the world. God, I hate you, Steven Seagal. I have now on multiple occasions had the same conversation. Uh, there is a trend, and it's technically scientifically proven, which is the most dangerous part. When people back, back that up, like, oh, they tested this. Scientists have proven this is true. Uh, usually that is only technically true in the most superficial sense of the word. So I... I'm always very suspicious when a layman starts talking about how this has been tested. Usually if you ask them to show you the study or the test or, you know, wherever this information came from, they can't. Uh, because there is a general thing where people read the title of an article and then take that information away as fact without having read the article. Honestly, I believe that the article usually isn't enough. You have to go find the actual study itself to see if there's been some interpretation between the article and the actual study. That piece of information already, when someone says it's been proven, there's the original study has been interpreted by a writer who has interpreted that down to a core point, which they've made the title of their article, which most people haven't even read. So that's like four degrees of separation. And that's four degrees of mistrust I put into this. And this is something that I have kind of experienced firsthand. So I feel like it's not true. Now, that's what I feel. That is not scientific fact. But I know for a fact what they're saying is dangerous. And it's the idea of calories in, calories out. So a lot of people who exercise lately, and I've had this conversation about three, four times with three, four different people, is that you know, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's just calories in, calories out uh, for exercise. So basically, if you eat junk food and you exercise, you burn off that junk food and you can get big and strong. The reason I was already suspicious of it was back when I was doing competitive judo very seriously, I found it very difficult to eat foods before the fights that would give me the right amount of energy. So uh, I tried high carbohydrate low protein. I tried high protein, low carbohydrate. I tried 50-50. I tried foods that I craved. I just tried any kind of thing I could figure out to try to find the best thing to fuel me for that day. And I had dramatically different results. So different foods positively or negatively affected my performance depending on the day. But that's not actually the bit that makes me think this is dangerous. Because what they're actually saying, I bet this study is just talking about, you know, if you put in calories turns into sugar in your body, you use that sugar in your body, uh, and that's what gets burned when you're exercising. So it doesn't really matter what the original source for that energy is, the glucose that's in your body that you use when you're burning energy and trying to build muscle. This excludes the idea that your muscles and exercise is, is part of a system because they're not talking about your heart. 
They're not talking about your liver. They're not talking about your kidneys. They're not talking about anything else. They're only talking about one aspect of exercise. And I would bet that if you got into it further, they would say, yes, you could eat nothing but brown sugar and exercise and build muscle. The problem is you would also end up being a diabetic. Uh, your kidneys would shut down. Your heart would be in terrible shape and your liver would probably explode. So to me, the problem is people are talking about a singular aspect and using that to justify eating garbage while they exercise or around the time they're exercising, and essentially not caring about their diet. But what they're not thinking about is the other aspects of their existence because there's other things at play in your body all the time. I am now at an age where cholesterol has become a thing. I didn't think about cholesterol for most of my life. I always thought, oh, you know, you exercise, you burn off all the bad stuff. It's fine. That is not true. Cholesterol, now that I'm at this certain age, my body doesn't process things the same way. I have to think about cholesterol every now and then. I shouldn't eat this. I should eat less of this. Uh, that's a big deal. That is separate technically from if I eat just sugar, I can exercise. If I eat junk food, a lot of these uh, weightlifter dudes, they're eating gummy bears all the time because uh, they're just, you know, empty calories. And I actually think that's good, you know, for the short term, if you're just trying to satisfy hunger, but it shouldn't be your diet because that is going to negatively impact a dozen other things in your body that you're obviously not thinking about. Maybe you only care about your muscles. That's dumb. I mean, that's really simple. That's dumb. The foods you eat will impact your ability to process information, how aware you are. It's going to affect your brain. That to me is one of the things you should think about. And so these guys who say this thing, they're not thinking about their brain or the rest of the parts of their body as they're exercising. I haven't gone and found this study and I'm tempted to because what I want to do is see what specifically it talks about and if there are any caveats at the end. Because if this is talking about health and nutrition, I bet they say, yes, calories in, calories out does technically work, but it compromises other elements of your existence. I think anyone sensible inherently knows you can't eat exclusively junk food and exercise and expect to actually be healthy. I think you could be short term, but that fat is going to build up in your system somewhere, probably your heart. Uh, it's not going to be processed around your liver. So that's going to impact you negatively later on. I bet you are healthy for a few years, but die earlier. Whereas it would be better to strike some sort of balance. I'm not saying don't eat junk food. I myself many times have admitted that I do like junk food. I eat probably too much of it. I have of recent years started, not successfully, but started to control how much sugar I eat by just reducing the amount. But you have to realize that if you only eat shit, it's going to do some shit things to your system sooner or later. It might be later, but that is going to be a pretty awful death that you've brought on yourself. Uh, but if you're that ignorant, maybe you deserve it. Boom, there's an ending that sucks. Something that we don't appreciate is gravity. You may go, hey, well, that's a weird thing. Like, you don't appreciate breathing most of the time. I get really bad allergy attacks. So one of the things I appreciate every now and then is when I just breathe normally, it feels really good. And that's because I suffer through the allergy part and it makes me appreciate what just breathing without any sort of inhibition feels like. None of us, except astronauts, can really appreciate what it is to not have gravity. The thing that brought this on is I was watching a movie, and of course they had some 
uh, sexy zero gravity space sex. And the thing is, I realized really quickly that zero gravity space sex would be terrible because evolutionary wise, almost all of the things we do are actually dependent on gravity. So if you think about sexual intercourse, sexual intercourse comes the pleasurable part. I'm just talking about straight up sex, nothing deviated, like missionary sex. Uh, the zero gravity sex has them floating around and spinning and stuff. But inertia plays into it. And that inertia comes from the fact that we have gravity. So we have something, you know, you can push sort of, there's some force or some, some actual power there. Uh, think about if you were in space and you push, there's nothing to stop the push or to push back. That's actually what you need for that to be successful. So you would do like a little push and the other person would start to float away. You would have to grasp each other very strongly to make sure you stayed together. And it wouldn't be pushing, it would kind of be wiggling now. You would need to almost, to be successful, strap one person into a place and the other person kind of play on top of them or strap yourselves into some sort of swing situation so you could get some velocity or friction or whatever you want to call it for it to be successful. And the floating around in space, I think the only result would be you would slowly float away from each other, which would, it, to my mind, not be the most satisfying version of sexual intercourse. You, you might feel differently. I don't want to argue with anyone about this. But there are a bunch of things I've thought about and read about that make me appreciate gravity a lot more. If you cry in space, there's no gravity to make the tears fall down. So basically all the liquid collects in your eye and just sits there. And then so you blink, it might push some of it out. It doesn't really go away. It's just more and more liquid builds up in your eye and it just coats your eye. So it makes it harder to see. And I bet it's uncomfortable. Probably blink a lot. Pooping is a real serious problem in zero gravity. Uh, it's of course been, jokes have been made about it. The thing is, we do, we sit down and we poop on a toilet and then it falls down because of gravity. Whereas you could imagine it, so you get it out of your body and it just hovers in between your butt cheeks or around you. It doesn't really go away from your body. That's a horrendous thought if you think about trying to poop in zero gravity. There's all the physical things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like appreciable things that you have on earth you probably don't think about because they feel good because of the successful implementation of gravity in the fact that we were you know, evolved in this system. And the one to me that's the biggest that I realized would suck if you were in space is using a blanket when you sleep. Because it's not just warmth. We put a blanket on ourselves and there's a certain amount of pressure. Like a heavy blanket in the winter feels good. That pressure coming down on us, it's not enough, like I'm hoping it's not so heavy that it chokes you or anything. But that pressure coming down on us comes from the fact that we are lying down, so where our bodies are flat. That That's sort of a relaxation state because of gravity. We've been standing all day, let's say. You lie down, that feels really good. You put a big blanket on, that feels really good. And then the warmth starts to, the warmth starts to envelop you in the big blanket that's pushing down on you. And it just feels very cozy. It feels very snug. All these words are basically dependent on gravity existing. You can't be cozy and snug in space the same way. You would have to build a little room or something, a womb almost, that you would crawl into to get the same experience. Maybe they're going to make space wombs that you can crawl into and then curl up in and it will like maybe inflate and push on you 
will make you kind of simulate the same thing. I don't know if that sounds good to anyone else. It actually sounds like an interesting experience to me. Coming out of the space womb would be an experience. Uh, you could then start having birthdays based around that. Kind of off track. But I think you can see where I'm going. Some of our most basic creature comforts come from the fact that we evolved in gravity and live on an Earth on a planet with gravity. And the good feelings we have about a lot of things come from the fact that gravity exists and works on us every day, all the time. We take it for granted, but I think one of the worst experiences you could have would actually be sex in space. Because I think you would end up, if you were the guy, because I'm always going to talk about from my perspective. If you were the guy, you would try to do something and then the girl would float away and you would just be floating by yourself, I assume erect. Um, and that would be one of the saddest boners in the world. Because that boner isn't getting to anyone. It isn't doing anything. Uh, it's as pointless as a boner could ever be. I'm now thinking of pointless boners in my life. Maybe my own or other people's. Now I'm really sad. So I think maybe we'll stop there. Just all I want is for the people... I mean, next time you're out there, lie down. Don't listen to this podcast because it might ruin the experience. But lie down in your bed. Get a nice big blanket on when it's nice and warm. And just like appreciate gravity for a second and then have sex with someone. And I think, again, while you'd be like, oh man, gravity's awesome, gravity's awesome, gravity's awesome. That is maybe the new version of Oh God. Because we've fallen away as a society from God being the central aspect. Religion is not what it used to be. Uh, if we're going in a scientific way, the thing you should shout when you're having peak sexual excitement should now be gravity's awesome the loss of 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 podcast the loss of podcast hey sexy friend he's making me his bitch thank you for listening leave a text to a voice question or comment at voicelink.fm slash podcast you can find the podcast on itunes stitcher a cast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast sexy out homies and then on, honestly i believe that the article usually isn't on i not part as 